0: Okay, we have wrapped up last week with Joe, uh, Jacob finally relenting to Judah's wise I'm appeal that to survive as a family, they must go back to Egypt for food, right? the right? And, and to, to Judah's surprising, wise appeal to say, hey, I will take responsibility for this trip down to Egypt, and I will put my place in this family my inheritance at risk to ensure Benjamin's safety. So Jacob, awakened afresh by Judah's leadership, has prayed for the first time in many chapters. The Lord would provide for that. The Lord would protect them as they journey down to Egypt. He's scrounged up the last of their, their food and their wealth. They can get back down to this man that they don't know who he is. He's got their brother in the prison in Egypt. And they have departed. Now, pick up here in chapter 43, verse 16. I'm not going to read through this whole thing. You're familiar with the narrative. I just want to get it started. We'll go through in chunks of the time his crossing. So we'll just start here a little bit. When Joseph saw Benjamin, verse 16, with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. Now, the men, verse 18, were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money that was returned in our sacks. Remember, they found the money in their sacks and then they opened their sacks in front of their father. And their father said, like, oh, you stole another brother, one of right? So now they brought the money back, they bought a present back, and they want to head this off quickly. So they say, hey, we have the money. It's because of the money that was returned in our sacks. The first time we were being uh, brought into his house that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for a slave my favorite part of this whole chapter with our dogs. <laughs> um, okay. um, so they come and they, they confess these things. Verse 23, he says, Be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your Father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out to them. When Joseph came home, verse 6, they brought it into the house to him the present which was in their hand, and he'll figure they out once he did to the ground before him, all eleven this time. He asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well, is still alive. They bowed down in homage and he lifted his eyes and saw his father Benjamin's other son. He This year, your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me, said, May God be gracious to you, my son, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the prayer that you're destructive awaken our hearts to a fear of you awaken our hearts to take like Jesus in tune with your character your plans, your desires, Lord and we see your character and hunger after morning we're going to kind of follow through what must have seemed to the brothers to be an almost schizophrenic turn of events we're going to follow through rapidly changing uh, political currents as they arrive back in Egypt where they arrive in fear and then they're suddenly comforted and banqueted and then they depart happily and then they're brought back in fear again and it must have been an absolute emotional roller coaster for these boys to arrive back in Egypt, uncertain of their fate, to be escorted immediately into uh, a grand dinner and a banquet and then hit the road happy the next morning and then suddenly be hauled back by a posse of angry Egyptians in the afternoon. So you can imagine as we trace our way along that storm of uncertainty and fear that is a problem. And you can also imagine that it has not left their consciousness or their consciences Has not left their consciences that these things have happened to them because, as they said in the last chapter, because they did not listen to the appeals that Joseph made when they sold him off as they came to their death. So even though we may have lost track of that a little bit in the intervening narrative, as they've been uh, convincing. Jacob to let them bring Benjamin back down. Surely, in the back of their minds, at these moments, there is still an awareness, as we'll see, that these things have been brought about by the sovereign hand of God. And in this case, for them, that is a case of fear. Right? They're still living in a, in a measure of fear because they know that they are guilty of Joseph as they think his death. Yet again, this narrative is bounded by a fear of God, and we'll see that. Notice their surprise in the first bit of this section that we read, when they arrived back in Egypt and somehow, maybe Joseph had the binoculars out, I'm not sure, somehow Joseph perceived before they have been brought into his presence that in fact all eleven are there, Benjamin is in fact with them, the conditions have been met, and so he sets in motion the next bit of this plan, and he says to the steward, Bring them into the house and slay an animal, make ready for the dinner, dine with me at noon. Surely this is very unexpected to them. You can see that they are just absolutely confused. They have left with Joseph doing his best impersonation of a KGB interrogator, saying, You're spies! And they're saying, oh, you're spies, you're spies, you're spies, go, no, get out of here, right? And so the last thing they know, their brother has been hauled off to prison, and they're in deep trouble. And now they return. And it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Egyptian edition, right? They come back, and it's, I'm so glad you're back. Come on, we the And they have to be like, the pistachios must have been really good. Yeah, like <laughs> that was the right thing. We should have bought pistachio. But they must be absolutely consternated to figure out what is going on. And you see that here. You see that they are in shock over this, and they suspect the trick. perhaps because? They have done similar things to trap other people in the past. I don't know if that. Their devious minds run immediately to a trap. And and if you think as we move through this narrative, Joseph's house is almost certainly in the imperial complex of buildings. It's close enough that when he is crying very loudly later on uh, at the beginning of the next chapter, Pharaoh's household can hear. Right? I mean. I'm sure he has an impressive set of lungs, but probably not that impressive, this is the ancient world we're so used to, our huge houses and our huge driveways and our huge cars that even for a very powerful Egyptian official, I'm sure that his house is not all that far removed from Pharaoh's house, and so they're being taken to the imperial palace complex, and they certainly think this is not a good thing, right? I mean, I suspect that if you are uh, the question is spies in our country, and they said, "Well, why don't you come to Washington D.C.?" You're like, "Am I going to the White House, or am I going to the Hoover J.A. Building, you have to get this, this the basement?" So they are—they are very uncertain. And so this time they decide to get out ahead of this very quickly. Right? They say, "Oh, okay. This must be because they think we ran away with the money. So let's get that out there." right up front, hey we have the money just so you know we bought the money and we brought more money so that we can buy more more stuff. And here again they must have been very surprised because Joseph Stewart is completely nonplussed on by their admission they going, we're gonna it back. And he's like, oh i no, I got your money. And they're like, no, we know you didn't I mean it's our money. It's not like you know today where they, they print coins and they all look identical. There is no such thing as coinage yet. It hasn't been invented. So they've got bars of silver. And these bars of silver aren't, you know, made in perfect millimeter dimensions. I'm sure they recognize the art on the silver. They're like, no, oh, we're pretty sure this is our silver. And about, it's good. Oh, by the way, here's your brother, right? And now comes Simeon, and he's I've been very well-treated, so he's like, hey, Mars. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's exactly like you accidentally told Dad. You, told dad you know, we told Dad, he's down here doing a spa treatment, and you're sitting. Like, Man, the Cucumbers coming off his eyes, right? He's like, life is great. And they must just be like, what's right? happening? They must be in the, in the twilight zone understand what is happening in our life now. all of this joseph's very wise very careful plan to carry out this testing of the trust notice in verse 23 the steward's response do, do not be afraid Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Now for an Egyptian official to appeal to the gods would not have surprised them at all. For an Egyptian official to appeal to this language, your God and the God of your father must have set them a little bit of buzz of like, this is very strange. How does this guy know anything about our covenant promises with this God? How could this be possible? They must be now thinking, this is very, something is very strange. Joseph prepares. This meal, he comes in and again through a translator asks, Is your father well? when you spoke, is he alive? They say he is uh, and they bow down in homage, once again fulfilling out the second dream that all eleven bow down before him. He lifts his eyes, he sees his brother Benjamin Finch- his brother, brother Benjamin who he hasn't seen in many, many years since he was four or five years old uh, and so he now sees this young man by the way, one of the reasons he's probably asking this question is just to make sure because it's been a very long time since he's seen this family I mean family resemblance must be there but to make sure this isn't some cousin they not him right is this really I mean, this really is my brother this is your younger brother of whom he spoke to me and he said, may God be gracious to you my son and hurry out." draw your attention to this for a moment. It's so easy. As we think about this, and as we'll see in a minute, uh, probably next week, Joseph's rock, solid consciousness of God's providential care in his life, that we then assume that Joseph is a man with very little heart, right? That he is... Is flatlining his way in a sort of alvinist way through life because that's somehow we the way we think about this, that we think that God's providence and a reliance on God's providence therefore means that we are automatons wandering through life in a very robotic fashion. And I just would present to you, Joseph through this narrative, is a deeply emotional man. He's completely in control. You'll see, he, the scripture uses these words, he controls himself for this. He's not unaffected by this. This Once again, a little glimpse behind the curtain to see Joseph's character and action here. He's deeply stirred with compassion at the sight of his brother after all. very touching. But I, I, I remind you of it because it's important that we hold this in contrast with what he'll say at the beginning of chapter 44 about when he's comforting his brothers that God has brought this about. Joseph's emotions are ruled. His heart is in lockstep with God's purposes. There's no aspect of him that's not constrained by his fear of God. And yet in that, he doesn't say, and therefore nothing matters. No, No, he is deeply affected by his compassion for his brother. Uh, imagine the heartache that he has been through in these years. This is not a person who has flatlined and blocked out the world and has decided that you know there will be no emotion. My heart won't be engaged with life or with the Lord while I'm in prison. And his survival method has been to just block all of it out until some point he's sitting on his counselor's couch. Right now, this this is a man whose emotions, whose heart is deeply alive to the way that the world is, and yet also constrained by the Spirit of God. It's very helpful for us. This this is a man who is who is properly and wisely exercising his emotions in the right place at the right time. It's a beautiful thing. I remember speaking with my friend uh, Jeremy Walker while we were in London a couple years ago at his house. And he was talking about reading the scriptures and how he has struggled for years to get. Some of the, this congregation is very multinational, but you get some of the British men in his congregation to stand up and read the scri- scriptures with anything other than a flat toe. You know, like, the Lord sent his son, because they have been so trained by their culture to so tell emotion is just not a masculine attribute or it's not a, a proper thing. And he's saying, why is, your, why is your heart not more engaged with the scripture than if it, it is engaged with the truth? If it is engaged with the proper, right things, why is that not? It's not at all appealing here to say, you must be emotional, rest, wandering around. I am saying, use your emotions as everything else to honor and glorify God, just God. He, he is a vibrant human being who is nonetheless constrained by the fear of God. This is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, my young man especially when you can properly articulate and demonstrate and control your affections and your emotions for the people you ought to love and care for. And that's why I think it's a beautiful thing. He sees his baby brother for the first time in many years and he is deeply moved by it. And he's not afraid that he's, he's going to conceal it for the right purposes at the right point, right? But that's it. Right? Well guys I just encourage you. Uh, I wasn't planning I mean, on dwelling here, but I think it's so it is so important. I would encourage you to properly express the emotions that you think of that's you can be by them. It doesn't mean that you're not, um, that you're captive to them. It doesn't mean that they're the first element of communication. Be properly affectionate, be properly wise, and be Allow your heart wisely to be stirred by the things that ought to be stirred by. And if it's not, training, training, don't. It's just as a man who's training every faculty of his being. And I just think this is deeply moving. If you were wondering, has he just been kind of bumping through life with no speed bumps? By all this. The second time we've seen it, his emotion, the first time his brother said, we've heard his loud cries and tears, okay, so, but not only for himself, now he sees his baby brother and he's fully moved by this emotion and affection. He seeks, he seeks a, a chamber and he weeps, and then the whole place of it, he washes his face, uh, or it's in the Old Testament, he washes his face and comes out, again, with the proper countenance on, to continues with this testing that he has set up, he says, serve the meal. Now notice, notice the way that he serves the meal. Brothers certainly knows. He serves the meal in proper accordance with all Egyptian sensibilities. He sits by himself on the dive. The Egyptians sit elsewhere, not because they don't think he's Egyptian, but because they're not as important. And then the Hebrews sit by themselves because the Egyptians don't want to mix classes for whatever reason. Um, and so it says it's loathsome for them to, to eat with the Hebrews. But they're seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men look at that. In astonishment. Why? Why is he doing this? Very carefully now, through this whole section, Joseph is building a a picture of himself in these men's minds. This is this is connected to all of this. He's trotted out this knowledge of your God and your and and the God of your fathers, and now he's saying, I know the order that each one of these father boys should live in. He's, he's building an impression of them and in their minds that this is a man who is almost a superhero. Right? This is a man who's not to be with. He has ways and means that we can't even understand. But CSE see as he continues to build this in a minute. He's carefully setting up a final bulletproof test for these boys. So they're very surprised. They're all, not already. They're enjoying this bill, but they are increasingly unsettled by it. First, the money in their stack. Next, Simeon from his spa treatment. Now, this uncanny recognition of their social order, uh, and then I think he can't help himself because he loves Benjamin, but also carefully part of the test, five extra portions to Benjamin What was the key issue that his brothers do not of him before? Tell All okay. right, and what is he stoking at this one? You get a hamburger? You get a hamburger, you get a hamburger, you get a cow, Right? Mm-hmm. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's steak. <laughs> whoa, poor guy just got the steak. What's going on? And they must, at some point, somebody had to, have, I'm sure your brothers were on the road to but at some point, one of them had to have been like, even in Egypt? Like, even the Egyptians said Rachel's kids are cute? Kid what is going on? Like, why can we not have He must have succeeded, at least at some point, at calming them, because now they feast and drink freely with them, and they they settle down and enjoy the party, and then get exactly what they want, they fill up the donkeys, they fill up everything, and they they are prepared to leave the next morning, which is an unbelievable fast turnaround in the ancient world, and they must be deeply relieved. That this whole bizarre incident is finally behind them. And so you would think that maybe they had learned the lesson last time we should check our sacks before we go through customs. But they didn't, right? They made, made for the border in and, and good mood, good feeling, everything else. They head for the border, and yet Joseph sets up the last element of this test. He puts his cup in the mouth of the sack. By the way, his postal steward must have been read right in on all of this because otherwise he's going to be sick. Right? Can you just put the money and now he's sending me after? So he must be, because he, he delivers all of his lines full perfection. So he must be <laughs> ready on this whole thing. Um, They get just out of the city, and the chariots roll up, and he says, Why have you repaid evil for good? And notice this, is not this the cup from which my lord drinks and which he uses for divination? Now, why bring this up? There's no possible place in the Bible that Joseph has elsewhere suggested to practice divination. Divination is an abomination to the Lord and we see in the law. So why does he say this? Well, he's building up an image of himself as an Egyptian who knows things that I Right? Now, the funny thing is, how is he practicing divination if they sold the top? Right? I guess he's suggesting, I'm such a good diviner that I knew you were going to do this before you ran off of the cup. So I used to cup to find out you were going to steal the top, so he get back, which is very complicated for this early in the morning before they probably had very much talk. But he's built up this image of himself as one who is not to be trifled. One who, is, who has this uncanny insight into their ways. And almost, I would say, he's built up a challenge and a sense to their own view of God and his providence. It's almost like, yeah, you think these things, but I actually am bringing concrete examples of the power of the Egyptian gods Right, it's almost setting up this weakness to say that one last thing that they can rely on. Hey, we know God's plans for us. Yeah, but this guy's even thwarting that. This guy even can see through, through that. He's setting up the perfect test. So notice what they say. Here's their idea of a solution when they take up. They say, "Why does my Lord keep Far me up, from your servants to do I have an oat Right, that's a really strong. That's not just a like. who wouldn't do that. That's that's like put me on the stand, raise my hand, I. We would not have done this thing. How, how far from us to have done this sort of thing. Don't you remember that the money which you put in our sacks, we brought back to you? Why wouldn't we bring the money back and then steal the silver cup? Like, how dumb do you think we are? Why would we do this thing? Now, notice how confident they are in it. Once again, Jacob and his boys coming up with really bad terms, right? they were uh, Whoever of your servants is found with it, let him die. Guys, making the total cut right to the chase on the first. <laughs> open the sack first, you know? But now they're very confident, they're very confident that they have done this. And immediately, Joseph Stewart is like, whoa, 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 okay, whoa, well, let's back up. How about we take him as a slave? <laughs> it's like, before we start. <laughs> but the test is not even given to get God's tradition and assassinated on the road, so let's stop it. it says, uh, he with whom his orders down shall be my slave. And the rest of you and a sin. A bratty little brother. Not the, one, but the brother who's getting stake. Who's always got stake. The one who dad has just said, my one remaining son while the other men are standing there. The last of Rachel's line. And they have a perfect sentence. And they didn't have to come back and give the a story this time. Right? He stole the problem. We were supposed to go fight all of Egypt? Like, I'm sorry, Dad, but your boy's a crook. But they have the perfect, perfect set. Everything has been set up to appeal to any possible motive that these boys would have for hate. The jealousy, the love of financial. Because remember, Joseph doesn't know all of why they sold him. He knows that they sold him in part because they didn't like him. But they also sold him for money, right? So he's covering all the bases. Not only can you get rid of them, you can make money getting rid of them, you can build home easily. I mean, it is the perfect test. Have these boys changed at all? I mean, they had to stumble into how to get rid of him. He's handed them a path to be rid of Benjamin forever on time. He searched beginning with oldest. Imagine the search, the tension of the search. No, they're fairly popular. No, Judith, or Rubens is open, no Simeon's is open, no, no Every step along the ledge, they must be alive. See? That's crazy. <clears throat> One bag, next bag, next bag. Benjamin's bags is open. And notice this. They don't know Benjamin didn't steal. Suspect, given all the unusual things that have been happening, but they don't know that Benjamin didn't steal it. They could, in good conscience, say, Dad, he stole it. Maybe we should sort of watched it better, but we didn't think one of your sons would go light fingering his way through Pharaoh's household. I mean, how crazy is he, right? Like, they don't know he didn't steal it. They just know, Oh, it's there. And they could cut and run at this very moment. But instead, they tear their clothes. They load their bodies and they all return to the same. How different this already is. Again? But now, we, we have five minutes here to just briefly look at the rise of Judah leadership. We'll have to return to some of this next week. It's so magnificent. I am convinced, as I've told you before, I am convinced that this episode marks the inauguration of Judah leadership for the Trumps. How surprising it must have been. To Joseph to have Judah approach him, and Reuben and Simeon. At last, he knew were that the disqualified heir and the new heir. Even a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, when they were last here, the boys are leaderless. Nobody can figure out what to say to him. They're all arguing, and Reuben's saying, "Oh, my fault, right?" So that's his extent of leadership. It wasn't my fault, right? And now this this disorganized motley crew all trumps back in. They say, we'll all be your I think that's an opening negotiating yeah, but I doubt that all want to be the but still, it's an opening negotiating gamut. Yeah, and he says to them the very same curse formula, the very same, very Hebrew curse formula to them and says, Far be it from me. I fear God. What do you think I am? Like you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Be it from me that I would be an unjust person, the man in his possession comes to this death, he shall be used to my slave. As for you, come up in peace to your old father. I mean, he's literally given him the same out right here at the moment. And Judah approaches him. Notice this. if ever wondered, you ever want to know how to talk to your boss, it's very difficult. This is a beautiful example of why it's a beautiful example of a very gracious, careful, wise appeal. He says, Oh, my Lord, may your servant. Please speak word, my lord's ears. Maybe don't have my words up with but lost in the year. But speak a word my lord, to my lord to the in my lord's ears. Don't you agree with your equal to Pharaoh? Throw your attention to a couple of elements. The word father occurs 15 times in this short class. As he re communicates to Joseph the core of their story, she leaves the story very carefully around their father around the day. Notice also his perception of Joseph and Benjamin and his reconciliation with that status that they do. Notice his perception of him. We have an old father, verse 20, and a little child of his old age. That expression is the very same expression that Jacob rather has used of Joseph, his favorite son, my, my baby, will, him, and he's recognizing how important Benjamin is to his father, a little child of this old age. His brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Yeah, understatement of the century. His father doesn't care about the rest of this. Judas saying, I understand this perception. He is the apple of my father's eye, because the other one is gone. He's deeply treasured by my father. And you said, bring him down here. He said the lad cannot leave his father, but he should leave his father, his father, his father, his father, his father, his father, his father said, your servant, unless he comes down, you can't see my face again, so we told this to our father, and he said, he said, go back, and I will move, he said, we can't go down unless he's coming, and your servant, my father, verse 27, said to us, you know that my wife bore me, well, no, my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out I'm not seen him since. By the way, this is the first time Joseph's ever heard the story that they spun to his father that he was eaten by wild these Surely he's torn to pieces and not seen since. Now, verse 29. If you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring down my gray hair down his shoulder And he says, If I don't bring him back and he sees that the lad is not with us for a certain one, he will die. Judah says, Again? This, this boy is my father's treasure. Now he knew that. He's known that for his whole life. But now, instead of saying, and I hate it, he's saying, but oh, I love my father. How could I possibly undo this dear thing to my father break it down his shoulder? But what does he say? He said, I have made my peace in the fear of the Lord with the way that my father has chosen run his family. I've undone. I've undone that nature. I've undone done the murderous rage I had against that, and now I'm appealing to you. He tells him to tell us with this, but he said, "I'm appealing to you to recognize how precious this boy is compared to the rest of us, my father." I mean, what, a, what a, a turn! Did you see that? Repentance is defined as a turn, turning away from a previous way of thinking to a new way of thinking. He has completely altered the way that he thinks about him. And now, notice, verse 32. Your servant. Became surety through the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring it back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Verse 33, Therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, and slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me for fear that I should see the evil who would overtake my father? I won't do this again. I won't go back to my father again and see his heart broken again. So I appeal to you, to substitute. I somewhat suspect that this is not quite the answer Joseph was expecting. I think that Joseph was probably expecting a prolonged bartering session, some way of getting out of this situation, some way of remedying this that didn't cost them everything. And Joseph did, uh, Judah cuts straight to the cliff and says, I love my father. I recognize the way that my father's heart is. I won't break it again. So take me, clearly now, the, the leader of the family, take me and stand. And it breaks just One, You'll have to see that. Next week. But for now, notice. Notice how beautiful this statement is. To love, I would do anything to see that my father is protected. And we, we sit here and we think about this. So that is a beautiful example of his love. It's a beautiful example of god's work in judah's heart it is it is a magnificent picture of his leadership i'm convinced it's the reason that his family becomes the king interestingly enough which two tribes are it that remain and faithful together judah and benjamin what an amazing odd combination that the the oldest of leah's children the leader of the family would be supported for the rest of his time and and all of israel's history with benjamin the one he offers to say this beautiful thing but I would say to you, you think this is beautiful, you want to have your emotions engaged. I don't think at every point in the Old Testament it's appropriate to say, hey, let's look to Christ and see what's there. But I think in this place, it, it would not be worthy of us not to say, you think this is beautiful? That a flawed Judah, I mean, look, honestly, Judah should go to jail, and it would be completely just. And Joseph could say, well, I'm going to throw you in jail because you're a kidnapper and a murderer. That's what they think is going to happen. And the very next thing, when he says, hey, I know so' They're like, oh, now we'll all go to jail. Right, so maybe prevention. He's a deeply flawed person, right? He's a redeemed person, but he's a deeply flawed person. What a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. What a, what a stunning picture of grace in real life. You say no, I'll substitute for the one that I think is good. It's an amazing thing. Even more amazing because the offense that we have exercised against Christ is isn't imaginary, like this still on top of court. It isn't caused by someone else, like the, the jealousy that has been literally poisoning this family for years, it's a real offense. Our offense against Christ is real. Our offense against God's justice is real. And we own all of it. Instead he says, I will take that, and I will bring him safely back my life. I think it's, it's just so beautiful for us to stop for a moment is a picture of love.